0: Hello, Saints. Pastor Adrian here, speaking to you from the Paris Church. Um, I wanted to try to share a word of encouragement from God's Word today. Um, but before I do that, I would like to give a word of encouragement uh, to each of our members uh, to continue to faithfully give uh, tithes and offerings uh, to the local church, We are working on getting uh, our churches online. Uh, One of our churches already is. Um, There's a website, and the website is adventistgiving.org. There you can go in, uh, plug in your uh, church and state, and uh, you can give that way. some are choosing to mail their checks to the P.O. box, church P.O. box number, or some are even choosing to simply give it to the treasurers when they see them. Um, so however you do it, I want to encourage not to wait till we all come to church again uh, to, to give it then. I know that's the comfortable thing. That's the most familiar thing. Uh, some some are, are thinking they'll just wait, but we don't know exactly how long we will be um, having services this way. We're hoping that in two and a half to three weeks time, we will be back in church, uh, but we don't know for sure. So every week that passes and our decreases, are giving decreases, that will have very significant uh, outcomes for both our local conference and our local churches as well too, so please keep that in mind. If you have any questions uh, about how to uh, continue giving, please contact myself or the Treasurer or another leader, we can help you through that. And I want to encourage those who are struggling uh, financially, maybe some people are um, being laid off or uh, losing hours or being demoted because of the economic conditions in our country at this time. Please know that God will take care of you. He always takes care of his people. And I know from experience that even financial hardships, God shows ways to to show his faithfulness and his glory uh, as you are faithful to him. Uh, So stay encouraged. Know that God is with you. These are very difficult and trying times. And as I was... Uh, considering what to speak about uh, today and in the, the weeks to come, um, I immediately thought about the seven last plagues in the book of Revelation. And so I, I thought that this would be very relevant to what is happening in our world and in the time to come. You know, as, as all of this began to happen with this coronavirus and it started spreading ac- across the globe, and now it's here in our own country, and the numbers are rising, both of people infected and people who are dying. Um, you know, I would talk to people and, and say, you know, don't worry, this is not one of the seven last plagues. And many Christians would come back and say, yes, pastor, I know that. Um, and so I thought, well, what is going on? And, and what are the plagues all about? And, and so my mind started going here to Revelation. And I wanted to study this because it's relevant to what's going on at this time. But I also knew that even in the midst of something as solemn and serious as the seven last plagues, which so many people, Christians, are very interested to know about, that God had a message of hope and courage for his people. And so as I started digging into that, I saw that this was very true. And so I wanted to do a short series uh, over these next few weeks on Revelation 15 and 16. And we'll start today with Revelation chapter 15. We'll read, it's only eight verses long. And, uh, and this is a message that, that uh, John is giving to the churches. He's on the island of Patmos. Uh, this is at the very end of his life. And in these visions that he sees, this is what he sees in Revelation chapter 15. Read with me, if you will. It says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast Over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chest girded about with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Heavy stuff, what does all of this mean? And I don't have time to go through all these verses here in Revelation chapter 15. There's so much richness here that we could talk about for hours. But I just wanted to look at a few things that I believe God is trying to tell us through this vision. First of all, we have to understand something very important here at the very beginning. John sees this marvelous vision Of these angels, the seven angels who have the seven plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. What in a very serious and solemn statement, one that brings fear into the hearts of people. But as John is seeing this, God intentionally and deliberately gives John another vision, he he sees something else that almost kind of interrupts the vision that he's having of these seven angels and the plagues. And what he sees is what he calls something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and there are are people, those who have overcome, standing on the sea of glass. Now, if we go back to Revelation chapter four and verse six, We understand that this is not the first time that John sees this sea of glass, this this uh, scene where there's this beautiful, uh, fiery landscape, if you will, that is just so majestic, it catches his attention. But if we go back to Revelation, chapter four, we understand that when John sees this, he is actually looking into the throne room of God. He's actually looking into the center of the universe. And so this whole scene in Revelation chapter 15 and 16, it starts, it takes place, it originates from the throne room of God. Now, this is very important. Why does God interject the vision of the seven angels with a different vision of God's people before his throne and and, and singing this this song of the Lamb and singing the song of Moses. You see, these throne room scenes that God gives to John have a very important uh, work. And what God is trying to do is he's trying to direct the attention of his people He's trying to direct their attention to what God and the Lamb are doing in the heavenly temple before the plagues are poured out. You see, the thought of, of, the, of the last plagues, the thought of this crisis that is coming, and yes, even the thought of the crisis that is upon us today can consume our, our thinking. It can... Uh, it can Grow our our fears and our uncertainties. It can cause anxiety and worry. And so God says, wait a minute. I want you to see something. I want to remind you, my people, of something that is very important. And Robert Gundry, in his book, um, The Systematic Theology of uh, Volume 4, he puts it very well, what God is trying to remind us from these throne room scenes. He says, the throne room scenes are given prior to things that happen on earth because God wants people to focus on events in heaven, the control center of the universe, and then face events on earth. This enables Christ followers to look to Christ and only then to look at the crisis on earth. This gives encouragement and hope when they are much needed. He goes on to say, The throne room scenes lift the saints above the challenges of history to see the Lamb who was slain, the Lamb who delivered in the exodus, and the Lamb who will deliver, is the same Lamb who will deliver his people out of the greatest time of trouble ever to impact the planet in the end. And then he, finally, he finishes with this short sentence. He says, they, that is God's people, they are Christ-centered, not crisis-centered. Did you catch that? They are Christ-centered, not crisis-centered. Yes, the things that are, are, are going to take place when the last plagues hit this earth and even the things that, that take place now, they are, are so consuming. You know, uh, there's there's economic disaster. There is this sense of uncertainty. I, I was even talking to a neighbor yesterday, just yesterday, uh, who is from an Asian country. And he says that, uh, I asked him, do y'all have the coronavirus in, in, your, in your homeland? He's from Vietnam. He said, yes, uh, they do. Uh, but what they have done is they have gone in by military force and they have forced people to be quarantined. They have forced them to not go out. I was listening to the news today. They're starting to do the same thing in South Africa by military force. They're causing their citizens to stay at home, where they can't even go to work to support their families, saying this is the only way we can prevent a national disaster. What trying times these are. And look at what's happening in our world today. Our normal everyday life has been so interrupted that whenever you... Talk to somebody, your family, even at home, or you you do go out and and you mingle with others. It is not uh, a conversation that people have. It is the conversation that people have. What what is happening in your world with this coronavirus? How, how is your family doing, and and this and that? So it, it is something that uh, people have uh, so focused on that it, it is it is just taking all of our attention. but God is telling us, I want your attention. Not only do I want your attention, but I want you to look at something very specific. You see the last message that I gave, we read from Luke that when we see all of these things come to pass, the wars, the rumors of wars, of the pestilences, the earthquakes, that Jesus tells us to look up because our redemption is drawing nigh. But John tells us in Revelation what specifically we should be looking at when we look up. And that is to look into the very throne room of God and see what he is doing there. It's as if God is inviting us not, not just into his home, but to, into his personal room where he lives and dwells. And he wants us. He wants to take us onto his lap. And he wants to, just as little children, he wants to tell us exactly what's going on. He wants to tell us exactly how things are unfolding. How he is working out the plan of redemption. And bringing the world to its, its final stages. But more importantly, he wants to remind us. He wants to tell us, listen, you, my child, you are victorious. You will sing this song with the others. I will put this song into your heart, both in the time to come and the time that is, I will do this for you. And so as John sees this vision, here in Revelation 15, that that's exactly what he's trying to do. He's trying to be, bring courage and comfort and hope to God's people. Now, the circumstances we find ourselves in can just be so uh, difficult. But imagine all of these things that I spoke about earlier, the financial crisis, the economic crisis, the the fears of people dying and getting infected. Imagine if living at this time, in the circumstances that we are in, if that actually started to vanish and fade into the background because we are so consumed, our attention is so drawn to what God is doing that it brings clarity and everything else just kind of uh, goes into the background. That's what God wants for us. It's not ignoring what's happening. It's not denying what's happening, as some people choose to do when they are afraid or they are uncertain. We should not deny what's happening in our world. We should not deny what is coming upon this earth. No, that's not what God wants. God wants us to stare uh, trial and temptation and difficulty square in the face and say, look, I am the victor through Jesus Christ and he will bring me through this situation. And so we can march forward by faith and in loyalty to God. As we reverently walk with our high priest through the heavenly temple, into God's throne room, it changes us. Maybe not our circumstances, but it does change us. And you know, that's one of the purposes of the book of Revelation. It's not just about these fearful sights and scenes, but it's also an important way to develop our character as Christians. As we see these, these ominous plagues that will come, as we recognize this, uh, this, this virus that is, that is uh, sweeping across our globe, and we have to react, we have to react, because it's touching every single aspect of our lives. What will your reaction be? And it's my hope and my prayer, and it's God's desire as we read through Revelation here, that it is, it is sharpening our characters, making us more Christ-like as we behold him and we are changed. That is one of the goals of Revelation chapter 15. You know, and as we do this, as we behold our savior, as as we are being changed, uh, we know that doing this will connect us with God in a very special way that few things can The heavenly scene and the song of the saints teaches us that the relationship between God and his people is intimate and unbreakable. They are so united. God and his people are are so intimately intertwined with each other that nothing can break that apart. Not a, a virus, not a plague, not, not the uh, the temptations of the enemy that come and assail us every day. Nothing can break us in our relation and in our intimacy with Jesus Christ. Revelation 15 here's, uh Revelation 15 says here that they sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. You see, before the time of the great tribulation that is to come, God puts, God himself puts a song of victory into the heart and mind of his people at the end of time. He puts this song into the hearts and mind of his faithful people who have been so close they, they can hear Jesus uh, singing, they can hear him him humming as he's walking through the sanctuary. They have been following him so closely that they are connected to heaven and God is present with them on earth. We see in this vision that there is is a connection between the two. We think of of heaven and the throne of God as so far away. I mean, we we couldn't imagine building uh, The kind of of technology and the kind of of spaceships, if you will, to take us all the way to the center of the universe. Where is that at? But God brings the two together where we are on this earth and where he is in his throne. He brings them together by faith. He brings them together through the blood of the Lamb. You know, I'd like to read something here from Testimonies to Minister 114 that that really caught my attention. Uh, This is from Ellen White. And uh, this brief statement here uh, she says, What will happen as we study the book of Revelation? She says, One thing will certainly be understood from the study of Revelation that the connection between God and his people is close and decided. A wonderful connection is seen between the universe of heaven and this world. The things revealed to Daniel were afterward complemented by the revelation made to John on the Isle of Patmos. These two books should be studied carefully. So, Church, as we study Revelation, uh, despite all of these the strange things that we see there. And as we really dig into it, we see this this attractive picture of of God and his people becoming one. They're actually becoming one in their day-to-day walk with him, but they're also becoming one through trial and tribulation. Imagine that. So often we shun, we shun the, the... the temptations, we shun the, the, uh, the trials that Satan puts in our way. We, we want to be comfortable. We want to be free of all of these things, but it's actually those difficult trying times that bond us to God like few other things on this earth will. When I was living in Japan, Uh, Some friends invited me to Shibuya. They um, wanted to take me to a crosswalk. Now, all the things that uh, they could take me to, uh, it was a crosswalk in Shibuya, but this was no ordinary crosswalk. This is one of the largest crosswalks in the world. I think it might be the largest in Shibuya in Tokyo in Japan. When the light turns green for people to cross, uh, thousands of people literally cross at one time. But there's another interesting uh, scene. As you come out of the train station to come onto the Shibuya crosswalk, there is a statue of a dog, a dog named uh, Hachiko. And my friends were telling me about this dog, and it turns out that Hachiko was a Japanese Akita dog, who was born uh, November 10, 1923. And in 1924, his owner, his name was Hidesaburo Ueno. Okay, it's a mouthful. A professor at the Tokyo Imperial University brought Hachiko to live in Shibuya, Tokyo. So he brought his dog, uh, Hachiko, to live with him in Shibuya as his pet. Now, here's the interesting thing. Hachiko would meet Mr. Ueno at Shibuya Station every day after his commute home. This continued until May 21st, 1925, when Mr. Ueno died of cerebral hemorrhage while at work. So he never returned home. He never came back to the station. But Hachiko, continued to wait for his owner. For eight years he continued waiting at the station until Hachiko himself, the dog, actually died. He waited for his master until his last dying day. Now, over time there have been, of course, a statue erected, movies, Stories, paintings, books, all kinds of things in honor of Hachiko's loyalty to his master. And it's quite fascinating. This dog waiting for his master until he died. Not months, but years later. Now let me say, Church, if a Japanese Akita dog can faithfully wait for years Until his death, if he can wait for years for his master, how loyal should we be to Jesus at this time? How close should we be to Jesus at this time? And, you know, the interesting thing is I was thinking about this story about Hachiko. I was thinking, you know, how did this dog eat? Where did he sleep? I was thinking, did he ever think that my master would never return? Maybe all these things came to his, this doggie's mind. I, I don't know. It's a very heartwarming story to know how loyal this dog was for his master. But I also thought about the terrible weather he must have waited in. Would, would, did he ever wait in freezing weather? Did, maybe he went uh, days without eating. Maybe he, he endured uh, abuse by other people. You know, you can only imagine what happened to this dog while he was waiting. It must have been a very difficult time. But now people in Japan and really all over the world who've heard the story of Hachiko honor him for his loyalty and his faithfulness. Church, I'm not going to lie to you. When When the end of time comes, and even in the time that we're in now, It is going to be very difficult times. It is going to be times of trouble. It is going to be times when we are uncomfortable. It's going to be hard to follow Jesus as he brings the world's history to an end, as he brings this great controversy between good and evil to an end, Things like the coronavirus will seem tame. They will seem so simple compared to the things that are coming upon this earth. Now, I'm not trying to uh, put fear or anxiety into anybody's heart or mind. I just want to tell you the truth. Trying times are ahead. Difficult times are ahead for God's last day people. But as we see in Revelation chapter 15, that is no reason to fear. That is no reason to be anxious. No, God gives us this scene. Even sandwiched between this vision of, of the angels and the seven last plagues, God gives us a scene of, of his people rejoicing. God gives us a scene of his people singing gratitude and thankfulness. And and they don't think about themselves. It's not about who they are or what they've done or what they've accomplished or how loyal or faithful they are. That's not what their song is all about. It's all about God. It's all about uh, his son, Jesus Christ. It's all about what the lamb has done for them that they rejoice And you know, church, that's what it's going to take for us to get through the very end. No other scene besides the scenes of the cross, the scenes of the life of Jesus Christ, the scenes of of eternal bliss where we're with our Savior for all eternity. Nothing is going to bring us through those times. Nothing will bring us through like remembering what God has done for us. And I believe that God wants us to remember these things because God wants us from a heart of love and gratitude and faith and deep appreciation. As all of this wells up from our hearts, then that leads us to the obedience and the surrender that really pleases God not trying to earn our way into the kingdom. We can do no such thing. The Bible is very clear about that. It is as we reflect on the work and the character of God that we say, yes, because of what you have done, God, here I am, and everything I am and do belongs to you. And we all have to make that decision. We all have, we all come to crossroads Multiple times in our lives. We're never out of the woods. And here in Revelation chapter 15, that is brought out very clearly because John sees uh, in this throne room scene, not only does he see God's people rejoicing before the throne, but there's also a, a scene of judgment. It says it very clear here at the end of verse. Uh, for your judgments have been manifested. And then John sees this vision of the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony that is opened in heaven. Now, what is in the the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven? By the way, in the original language, this gives us the impression that he is in the most holy place. That's where John is. Is, is seeing this scene. He, he's eventually taken, uh, in verse five, into the most holy place. And what do we find there? We find the ark. And what's inside the ark? It's the Ten Commandments of God. And so we have to know that God is calling us, he's commanding us that our faith leads to obedience to the will of God. And so anybody who tries to go into the sanctuary without the blood of Jesus, anybody who is in rebellion to God, anybody who has resisted the spirit of God, who has said no to God, who has chosen to doubt, who has chosen to go their own way, will only see the commandments, the, the condemning commandments of God and the judgment of God will come upon them. But you see, as I was studying this out and I was looking at the word judgment, I found something very interesting here because there's two sides to this coin. The word judgment in verse four is the word dikaioma. And it and it means from a judge, a sentence of acquittal or condemnation. It it can mean the restoration of a criminal, a fresh chance that is given to him. So you see, when we think of judgment and we think of of the commandments that that condemn our behavior, we we think, what what chance do I have? I'm not perfect. How can I ever make it? But you see, The word judgment here is not just a term for condemnation. No, it's also a term that justifies. It's a term that acquits the person who has done wrong. It is a term that is used when a criminal is redeemed. Hallelujah and praise God. Now we know why the judgments of God bring rejoicing to God's people because in the throne room of heaven, God is justifying his people. He's liberating them. He's setting them free through the blood of Jesus Christ from all condemnation. And he's setting them free from the seven last plagues That will come upon this earth. He is saying, in effect, you don't have to worry about these plagues. They're not going to touch you because you're covered in the blood of the lamb. Don't worry. This is not a time for anxiety, but again, a time of rejoicing. Hallelujah and praise God. So you see there there are two, two sides to the coin here. We We often think of of judgment as, and the seven last plagues and all of these things as something to be afraid of, but God wants us to see it very differently. You can be that criminal who was given a second chance. I can be that criminal given a second chance. In this vision that God is giving to John, There's a lot taking place. It's very heavy and it's very solemn. And the times in which we live, God is trying to wake his people up to the reality of of those times that are coming upon this earth. But I wanna encourage you today, as you look up and you look into the throne room of God, look by faith, Look, look upon this scene and let it draw you closer to the savior and let it be something that gives you a strength and endurance for the difficult journey that is before God's people as we are in the last phases of that journey may this throne room scene give you hope and encouragement please Uh, don't let this opportunity pass you by. Now, what do I mean by that? You know, this pandemic panic, it will pass. I don't know how long it will take, weeks or months, but it's going to pass. God is going to bring healing upon this earth once more because of his mercies. He will bring healing to this earth once more. And, And people's lives will be affected by it but many are just going to go back to life as normal when all of this is over. And I wanna encourage us not to do that. This is a time to double down on our faith. This is a time to double down in our devotion and our surrender to God. Allow God to prepare you for what is to come. Uh, Allow God to shape and mold you in a way that He never has before. Then encourage others to do the same. God is pulling back the curtain to the throne room of the universe where he is doing a marvelous work of judgment, both to justify and vindicate his faithful ones and to bring an end to all sin, sinners, and pain and suffering on this earth. It is my prayer today that what you are learning from all of this experience that we're going to through, that you are learning day by day to sing that song of victory because it will be the greatest song that will ever be sung in honor of our Savior. May God bless you and happy Sabbath.